The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. For those of you who are regular listeners to our podcast, you know that we are now in chapter 38 of the book of Job. This is the point where God has appeared on the scene, and he is in the process of reminding them that he is God and they are not. In fact, we've entitled this portion of Job, The Answers God, Watch the Question. We continue today looking at God's answers to these miserable comforter friends of Job and to Job himself. And we're seeing that, indeed, God is the answer to every issue of life. Join us today as we continue looking at God's response in the book of Job. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
We'll turn, if you will, to the book of Job, the 38th chapter. But as you turn there, I want to remind you of what we have used as a sort of summary of the book of Job from the very beginning of this study. And that's found over in the book of James, the fifth chapter and the 11th verse. You know, there's a lot of ways we as men can summarize Job, but the best summary of all is what Scripture says about it. And James writes this, he says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now, we're about to get into some scriptures here. In fact, we started out talking about them the last time we were here. That might sound like the Lord is not very pitiful and not very merciful. Because what we're going to be looking at is God's manifestation, His own declaration of His majesty. And in fact... It could be viewed as a put-down of Job and those other friends, and in some ways it is, because anytime we see God high and lifted up like He is and should be in our minds, it puts us all the way down to the ground, and that's where we should be. When, when Isaiah saw God high and lifted up and His train filled the temple and the glory of the God was manifest, he hit his knees. When John saw Jesus glorified on the Isle of Patmos, he fell down as one dead. That's the way we should react. But I don't want us to forget, and I, and I want us to maybe read this with some filtered, if you will, through the eyes of James, that what we're about to read is a manifestation of the majesty and glory of God, but it also displays unto us the tender mercy and the pay, and the the pitifulness, not pitiful in him, but his pity toward us as we read this. So keeping those things in mind, let's go now to the book of Job and do a quick review because I don't want to spend much time on it. You remember last time as we began to look at God's coming on the scene and God's answer to all these questions that everybody had raised and all the arguments that everybody had made on behalf of God, this is God speaking now. Remember, in Job, you have to filter what's being said through who's speaking it. You know, what Job says is partly right but partly wrong. What uh, Elihu says, partly right and partly wrong and so forth and so on. But when God starts speaking, you can count on every single word <laughs> as being the absolute truth and the absolute right application of it. And so God has come on the scene now. He finally is speaking. You know, there was a twofold problem, problem in Job. Job's friends think that Job is evil, and that's why God is destroying him. And Job thinks he's righteous, and that therefore God is unjust, and there, that's why God is destroying him. And the truth is, both were wrong. God's not destroying him. The devil is. Satan is. You know, there's some basic truths in the first two chapters of Job that we need to remember. One is that there is an entity in this world for good. There's an entity in this universe for good, and that's God. There's an entity in this universe for evil, and that's Satan. And they don't work together. They don't cooperate. But praise God, the entity for good, God himself, is greater than the devil. And the devil can only go so far as the Lord suffers him to go. Praise God for that. But we need to understand that both were wrong, and, you know, here's the time where, according to the, to, to the pattern, is that this is the time for Job to answer Elihu. 
You know, Bildad would speak and Job would answer. Eliphaz would speak. Job would answer. Now Elihu has spoken and now's the time for Job to speak. I don't know if he tried to open his mouth and, uh, you know, it was saying, uh, and then God shows up in the whirlwind and shuts them all up. <laughs> but here God comes on the scene and responds to all of them. And, and we said last time that if we wanted to title this, we could title it this way. The answer is God. Now, what's the question? And you know, that's true, isn't it? In our life, the answer is always God. It doesn't matter what the question is. You may be struggling with sickness. The answer is God. You may be struggling with financial ruin. The answer is God. You may be struggling with marital problems. The answer is God. You may be struggling with all sorts of things. The answer is always God. To every question of life, the answer is God. Now, a reminder, I guess, because I think we talked about it last time, that Notice how he answers. He, he doesn't so much give an explanation of himself as a revelation of himself. He, he doesn't come up and say, let me explain my actions to you. Let me just kind of get down and show you what's going on. You know, God can do that, and he does from time to time. But generally speaking, when we are struggling with the problems of life, God doesn't come down and say, okay, come on over here now. I want to explain to you exactly what I'm doing and exactly what's happening and exactly who's doing it and how it's going to work out. He doesn't do that. Because <laughs> you see, we're not supposed to walk by sight. We're not supposed to walk with a map that shows you every single step and every single outcome. We're supposed to be walking by faith. He said, the just shall live by faith. We're to live by faith. And, and what we need is, you know, when Jesus came in the midst of the storm, when they were toiling and rowing over there, no doubt questioning him and frustrated and toiling in, in that storm there that was about to overturn him while they were smack in the middle of the will of God. Jesus didn't walk out there and say, hey, wait a minute now. Things are going to be okay. Let me explain to you why you're here. No. He just said, it is I. Be not afraid. And literally in Greek, that's I am. It's the Greek phrase, ego. You, you know about ego? You know, that's something the psychiatrists use to talk about ourselves. Ego, that's a Greek word for I. Ego, I me. I am. And he said, be not afraid. And that's what he does to us. That's what he's doing to Job and his friends here saying, it is I, be not afraid. See, we don't need so much the what as the who. We don't need so much the explanation as the revelation of God. You know, last time we began reading, we'll, we'll go back here at verse 1 of chapter 38 and begin reading again. But notice that the first few verses are basically saying, who are you? God asking them, who are you? You know, it's almost like he's putting them down. You know, it's almost like he's saying, you little worms, who are you <laughs> to be questioning me? And sometimes we need to hear that, by the way. Sometimes we need to remember that he is God and we're not. There's times when I get all lifted up in anger and frustration and even pride. And I'm like, God, Lord, what's going on here? What? And it's not, you know, God sometimes has to turn to me and say, who are you anyway to be questioning me? And we need to remember that from time to time. Let's, let's look at this right quick. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Job, you've been asking questions. You've been, you've been boldly proclaiming that you want me to show up so, I, so you can cross-examine me. Now that I'm here, I'm going to do the questioning. 
I'm going to do the questioning. I had a case one time where I had a witness on the stand who was a victim in a case, and he was kind of brash and smart aleck and just kind of a difficult guy. And, uh, and he, so I would ask some questions, and he, he was even being combative with me. And, uh, of course, in court, you know, the lawyers ask the question, the prosecutor asked questions, then the, then the defense attorney. Uh, well, he kept asking me questions. I finally stopped him. I said, you know, this works a whole lot better if you let me ask the questions and you just answer them. And, of course, the judge, you know, chastised him, and that, it did work a whole lot better after that. Well, I want to tell you, beloved, that in the relationship that we have with God, it's okay to ask him questions, but it's not okay to question him if you understand the difference. It's okay to ask him questions, seeking humble, humbly seeking information, but it's not okay to question him. And that's what he's saying here. I'm going to do the questioning. And he goes on to do that. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. You know, he first starts off with, who are you? And now he's going to, he's going to pretty much say, who am I? Who am I? You humans down here, I know you're struggling. I know you've got problems. Who am I? Remember who I am. And that's here as we start reading in verse uh, 4. Now listen to this, verse 4. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding, who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who hath laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and thick darkness a swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days, and caused the day spring to know his place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it? It is turned as clay to the seal, and they stand as a garment. And from the wicked their light is withholden, and the high arm shall be broken. Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea, or hast thou walked in the search of the depth? Have the gates of death been opened unto thee, or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? Hast thou perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare, if thou knowest it all, where is the way where light dwelleth? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof, that thou shouldest take it to the bound thereof, and that thou shouldest know the paths to the house thereof? Knowest thou it, because thou wast then born? Or because the number of thy days is great? Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow? Or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail? Which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war. By what way is the light parted which scattereth the east wind upon the earth? Who hath divided a water course for the overflowing of waters? Or a way for the lightning of thunder? To cause it to rain on the earth where no man is? On the wilderness wherein there is no man? to satisfy the desolate and waste ground and to cause the bud of the tender herb to spring forth? Hath the rain a father? Or who hath begotten the drops of dew? Out of whose womb came the ice <laughs> and the hoary frost of heaven? Who hath gendered it? The waters are hid as with a stone and the face of the deep is frozen. Canst thou bind the sweet influences of Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? 
Canst thou bring forth Madsaroth in his season, or canst thou guide Arcturus with his sons? Knowest thou the ordinances of heaven? Canst thou set the dominion thereof in the earth? Canst thou lift up thy voice to the clouds that abundance of waters may cover thee? Canst thou send lightnings that they may go and say unto thee, Here we are? Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts? Or who hath given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds in wisdom? Or who can stay the bottles of heaven? When the dust groweth into hardness and the clods cleave fast together. I want to stop there, but I wanted to read all that together. Because what we're beginning to see here is God answering the question, who am I? Who, who is God, really? And the way he's doing that, he asked 86 questions, if my count is right. I think you could probably count it a little different way, and you might come up with a different number. He asked 86 questions here that nobody can answer. No man can answer. Where were you? They don't even, you know, I ask you tonight, where, where were you? When he created the earth. Well, you say, nowhere. Well, where's that? Where's that? Where, where, where are you? Where were you? You didn't exist? What does that mean? We don't really, can't really fathom all of that, can we? I mean, it's questions that we can't answer. And God here is going to ask these questions in a, with the intent of showing us who he is. And the first thing he does here, he's saying, look at me. He's basically saying that throughout this. He's saying, look at me and look at the things I've done. Here, he's, that we, what we just read, what we just read is God saying, look at the majesty of my creation. Look at the majesty of what I have done. He first gives us an overview of creation. Going back to verse 4, he says, you know, who did this? Who created everything? You know, you're here making bold statements. You're, you're here declaring that you want to speak to me and bring me into judgment uh, over things that are happening on this earth, on this creation that I have made. Who made this? You know, and the answer is God. I have. I have made this. He's given us an overview here. Of course, you know, we know, and they had heard, they had heard it through oral tradition at this point, but we know from reading the book of Genesis, which they didn't have, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We also know, they certainly didn't have this then, we also know over from John chapter 1, that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we're told that everything that was made was made by that living Word, which was with God and was God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, we're going to see that the Lord Jesus Christ elaborates upon Job, believe it or not. I mean, it's not a direct reference, but I'm telling you, in the Sermon on the Mount, He's going to tell us some things that are going to shed light upon what God told Job, and I think they're very sweet. But we'll come back to that, Lord willing. Who did this? I did it. Verses 4 and 5. Who laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who stretched the line upon it? Like a builder, who got out there and measured the foundations and so forth? Verse 6. How did I do it? <laughs> he says, where are they, the foundations fastened? You know, when we went to build this church, somebody had to get out here and lay it out. And somebody had to pour the footings. And they had to fasten a cornerstone. had to lay all of these things. The idea here is of a builder who surveys the site, marks off the boundaries, pours the footings, lays the cornerstone, begins to build the structure. God says, tell me how I did this. And the implication is, if you can tell me that, then I might answer your questions. But you've got to answer mine first. Who 
did this. God did it. How did I do it? Well, who can say? And you know how wonderful it was? You, you remember when we finally got this building built and we finally got in here. We finally got to worship in this building. How, how excited we were. We sang, didn't we? We even came in here some while the building was being built and sang, okay? Verse 7 tells us that the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. That's how glorious creation was. That's how glorious the structure of this universe was that our God made. It was so wonderful that even the stars sang in the glorifying chorus of God. Now, I don't know what that, does that mean they literally sang? I don't know. Maybe it's figurative language, but I know one thing, they sang <laughs> in some form or fashion. It was that glorious. He's given us an overview of the creation. Now, beginning in verse um, Verse 8, he starts talking about the sea. He, he's telling us about, uh, he said, he's sort of describing it to a birth, you know. Um, it, he's saying that the, the sea uh, break forth as, it, as if it had come out of the womb. And, and, and it began to, uh, you know, there was a cloud covering the earth at that time and thick darkness at that time. And by the way, just remember that things are different today than they were immediately after the creation. Remember that. Brother Buddy preached a wonderful message about that some years ago about how there was just some difference. You know, the scientists say it's always been this way. It's always been, nothing has changed. You know, that's what Second Peter chapter 3 tells us. They all say, there'll be scoffers that say, oh, everything's just the same as it's always been since the creation of the world. And they don't remember the flood. What happened in the flood? It says, it says the fountains of the great deep were loosed and, and the, the rain that had, obviously, had apparently been held back by this swaddling band of clouds around the earth you know, i get a vision of venus you know they give us that that picture of venus as it's covered completely in a cloud a cloudy atmosphere that's kind of the way it appears the earth was at the time of creation but when the flood came all of that water that was in those clouds that band of waters or whatever it's called uh, uh that that expanse that the bible calls it all that broke forth and flooded this earth and things changed Things changed at that point. Notice the sea came for. He said, "Where were who? Who did this?" And he kind of gives us a little. He said, "I made the cloud the garment. I I broke it up from my decreed play. I said bars. I said I love verse eleven. I said hitherto shalt thou come, but no further. And here shall thy proud ways be stayed. You ever tried to hold back the waves on the sea? I remember, that's right. Good luck." <laughs> I remember when I'd be at the beach and the kids would build a little sandcastle, might build it a little bit too close. And I remember when I was a kid and I'd do that, and I was like, oh, I've got to stop this from coming. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> it's not going to happen. The waves are going to come in. But you know who can do it? God can. He said, hitherto shalt thou come and no further. Now that's power. <laughs> that's power. That's, a God. that's majesty. Look at the majesty of his creation and now he gives us, he begins to give us an overview of his daily care of his creation. Look at verse 12. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days and caused the day spring, that is the dawn, to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it? Here he's, he's pointing us to the sun. He's telling us about how every day, as we know, the sun comes up. And every night, the sun goes down. 
And I don't know if you're like me, I've had trouble in the last couple of years sleeping at night. I struggle with waking up. I woke up at 1.40 the other morning and got up because I couldn't go back to sleep and stayed up till about 5.30 or 6. I can't remember something like that, but I got a lot of work done, <laughs> by the way. But I just couldn't wait for the light to get here. You ever been sick in the night? I've been sick in the night. I don't ever get sick in the day. I wish I could just one time, get the, if I'm going to get the stomach bug, get it during the daytime. I don't ever get it during the daytime. I always get woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning feeling sick, you know. And when I do that, and it seems like it takes 12 hours for daylight to get here. But it seems like when daylight comes, it just makes everything a little bit better. When the sun comes up, and he's saying that, he says, he says, look what happens in nature. Look at the sun. Have you done this? Have you commanded the morning since your days? And have you caused the dawn to know when, when to come? And, and notice that it said that the wicked, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth. The light comes in and dispels the darkness that the wicked might be shaken out of it. The view is like a skirt, like shaking something out of your skirt. I remember uh, my grandmother used to, you know, shell some peanuts and different things like that and let them go in her apron and then go out and shoo them out in the yard, you know, and just dump them out out there. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.